The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Please, uh, will you welcome the host of Slice Represent, Aisha Harris. Welcome to our very first live show for Slice Represent. Uh, Yay! So we are here at the SBA Theater as part of the 2017 Tribeca Film Festival, and it's really awesome to just get out of the recording studio for a bit and bring the show directly to you live. It's going to be great. Uh, My name is Aisha Harris. I am your host, and my special guest this evening is known for her funny and very straightforward takes on social issues. She has worn many hats, including comedian, uh, activist, uh, live TV, late, late night TV writer, MTV news host, among many other things. And she also recently just announced that she's working on a new project with Comedy Central. Uh, so that's very exciting. And I actually really admire her for her ability to shut down Twitter trolls because those people are terrible. Uh, I've had my own personal experience with them. And I've been an admirer of hers since I first caught up with her viral video and very relatable video, Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls. So please welcome Miss Francesca Ramsey. Hey. <laughs> well, Hi. welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. I've been trying to get you on the show for a while, so it's great to have you for a live show. I know. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. So let's actually just start with shit white girls say to black girls, uh, because that's kind of where you kind of made your start, and that's where Funny I first enough, discovered I've been making videos for six years before that video went viral. So. I was actually going to ask you. Well, uh, we'll talk about that after. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how many people have actually seen this video before. Um, if you haven't, we're going to show a little taste of it right now. So let's cue that up. Can I touch it? Okay, I'm already touching it a little. Is this real? Is this all yours? Wait, it's not real? It is. It is. Okay, sorry. So... Kind of feels like a Brillo pad. Oh, did that hurt? Oh, sorry. Sorry. You guys can do so much with your hair. Kind of feels like Cheetos. Hey, do you know a Tyrone Jenkins? He just requested me. I don't know. He's black. Girlfriend. (laughs) So that is a little bit of shit white girls (laughs) instead of black girls. I can relate. (laughs) Um, So... You said you've been making videos for six years before this. Can you talk a little bit about like where you were at that point in your career when you were making this and how the video just first came to be? 
Um, it's really interesting because that was 2012 and it was a very different time in the YouTube space. Um, there were some people that were making a living from it. I was not one of those people. Uh, I was working as a graphic designer at Ann Taylor. Um, wow. I was photoshopping Demi Moore's face all day. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it was riveting. I had a sweet <laughs> discount. And <laughs> so I uploaded the video before I went to work. And then on my lunch break, it had like a million views. And I was crying at my desk. Nobody knew that I made YouTube videos. It was not something I talked about with anyone. Um, and it was exciting, but also really overwhelming because I'd always wanted to work in entertainment. And suddenly I had my shot because I was getting messages from agents and I got invited to audition for SNL and like oh. the new and living color reboot which didn't and didn't end up happening um, so yeah it was it was really cool but it was really scary and unexpected can you talk a little bit about what that that felt like because in in the video the part we didn't show there there's also moments where you kind of address the fact that you know people are gonna be like you're being racist right now what was that? Like. I I don't think any there's just nothing that can prepare you for just like the variety of responses that are going to come from talking about race on the internet. I mean, I just I had lightly talked about things before, but not something that had reached audi an audience of millions. Um, and so my inbox just ex exploded. I think there's 30,000 plus comments on that video. And at that time, I got every comment into my inbox because oh. I didn't get a lot of comments on my video. Did you switch that up really quickly? You're oh, like, I, okay. I did, but it was really hard because my inbox was just like freaking out. Yeah. Um, it was really confusing because suddenly people were calling me a racist, which is something I'm totally used to now. Um, <laughs> But at the time, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this video is not racist. Like, what? how, why is anyone, I didn't understand why anyone was upset. Like, I just thought that it was funny. And I thought that it was an accurate rec representation of what it was like for me growing up in West Palm Beach, Florida. And so for people to be angry about it, I just thought, well, you don't, under you don't understand what this video is about. Yeah. Um, and I, I really tried for a little bit to actually respond to comments. I used to actually really get in those comments and respond Girl, to people. really? I used to. Yeah, okay. I really did. <laughs> I mean, think about it. But that video really kick-started my career, but prior to that, really responding to comments, and I think this is across all social media, is what helped me grow. Because you usually comment on a video and you never get a response from the person that made the video. But... You know, back in the day when I was getting 200 comments, like I felt like it was part of my job to sit there and respond to people and answer their questions and tell them where I got my lipstick from or how I edited this specific moment or whatever it was. I mean, I still really think that engagement with my audience is a big part of my success, but I also think it's really it's really important to me. Yeah. I mean, so how when did you learn to sort of pick and choose? Because obviously that did help. I still don't know, girl. <laughs> I still <laughs> responded to much stuff that I'm like, why didn't I respond to this? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I've gotten better at uh, not responding to things or just being more strategic about what I do respond to. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I do respond to trolls more than I should, but more often than not, it's not about them. It's really about my audience. So I make it like a public reply. So it really has nothing to do with them. Um, and for me, I think that there's value in showing my audience 
a smart or funny way to combat something really ignorant or um or it's just funny to drag like trolls. <laughs> Sometimes you're just like, you gotta let them know. Yeah. There's like a little clap back. Yeah. I mean, so for you, it's sort of like a teaching. You can use it as a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. To, and sometimes it's yeah. just cathartic because I'm just like, oh, the train's taking forever. Let me just say something to these trolls that are annoying me. <laughs> right. Because sometimes I feel like, especially with trolls, sometimes they say things that are just so just off the mark. And you know, like, there's no way, there's no gray area here. You are wrong. And so you right. feel like, yeah, I can mm-hmm. I can dig in. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. I think again it's it's difficult because at the end of the day like they do still kind of win because they got you to respond and for me like people screenshot my responses and they're like, "Look, she responded to me. I did it." And they like go high five their like troll friends <laughs> under a bridge and I'm like, "That's so weird." <laughs> Or they're like, look, she blocked me. Or they're like, they're always like, block me, please. It'll make my day. And I'm like, oh, God, your life sucks. And then I'm like, okay. And then I block them. And then they like screen. It's very weird. So it's like you're giving them what they want. And so by not responding, it's usually the better thing to do. But for me, it's really frustrating to kind of suffer in silence in the mm-hmm. sense that like I don't think people understand like how much I deal with when it comes to these people like not just on Twitter like call my agents and tell them to drop me because I hate white people and like start (laughs) petitions to get me fired like I have to get security at stuff now I'm genuinely like what is wrong with these people so sometimes responding on Twitter is also just for me a reminder for my audience like this is part of the work like this is what comes along with talking about you know, my identity as a black woman, just being a visible black woman on the internet, it comes with a lot of people just like yelling at me all the time. And I feel like people should know that as much as they know, like I got to go to red carpets and like look cute. I mean, (laughs) yes, but that gets exhausting, right? Like, yeah. (laughs) How do you, do you, do you ever just want to be like, I don't want to do this right now. Like, have you ever sort of shut down for a day, a week, just said, I'm not responding to anything. And like, what do you do in that space to fill that space of not responding? Um, I don't know. I go back and forth. Like one of my New Year's resolutions was to not respond to trolls. And I think that lasted like a month. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I mean, I, I follow you on Twitter. So I see it's you that, it's, always responding. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really real. I'm That's like part of my personality. Like I like to have the last word. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, So I don't know. I do take time off, though. And like I said, there's a lot that I just don't respond to at all. Um, And I also really try to enjoy my time offline. You know, I am very fortunate to have great friends and an awesome husband and dogs that I love. And I go to the gym and um, I try to do a lot of things in my spare time that are away from Twitter. Mm. Usually when I'm responding to tweets, it's like in transit somewhere like I I'm not spending like hours on Twitter like I used to um, because I don't have time to be on Twitter all day. (laughs) She's got a Comedy Central pilot now. Come on now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Good. I mean, that's, you got to keep saying, and that's, you got to, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, you'll never, you just, you won't win. Like, they purposefully say, hurtful things they purposely twist your words and like build straw man arguments it's just like a never-ending cycle yeah i mean one of the shows you've you've 
done and worked on is MTV Decoded, which right. is the web series. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it is a show in which you've discussed many different topics. Um, among them includes, uh, let's see, you have our fried chicken and watermelon racist. Uh, you also address the weird history of Asian sex stereotypes. You've also discussed why does MTV Decoded hate white people? Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> um, I mean, that show is supposed to be, it's a sort of a, like the teachable moment in like very like short, digestible, five minute, six minute clips, um, but in a funny tongue in cheek way. And I'm curious as to whether you feel as though the show has done anything to help move things along. In terms, or do you feel like you're reaching people who you might not reach through Twitter or other aspects? I think so. I mean, what's really cool about the work that I do is I get to speak at colleges a lot. And for me, that is super rewarding because I do get so many negative comments online to see people in person who say, like, wow, your video really opened my eyes to a topic that I hadn't really understood or heard about before, or I used this video to start a conversation with my mom or, you know, a classmate. So I definitely think that the show is doing things to start conversation, but it's one of those things where you can't force someone to talk about or understand something that they're not ready for. Um, they have to be open to want to do the work and, you know, decoded as, as much as I love and I'm super proud of that show. It's like one Oh one AF, you know, like it is, if you're upset by that show, like you have some like serious, you know, I'm going to pray for you because I'm doing like, <laughs> I'm making like the most basic jokes. I mean, it's, it's geared towards a young audience. Like our Snapchat audience is like 13, you know, and they, they love the show. And so there are people who are like, wow, you hate white men. And I'm just like, no, I'm like you weren't even mentioned in this video. So like, this is not for you. <laughs> they like, always not, find a way to insert themselves. Into it's these like not always, it's not oftentimes it's not about them at all. And yeah. they're just, they just get mad. So I can't, I can't get them to a place that they're not ready to be at. Mm. But I also sometimes get messages from people that say like, two years ago I stumbled upon your videos and I hated you or I didn't understand this. I didn't like you. And then they're like, and then I started watching more or I watched this documentary or whatever it was. And like, now I get it. So mm. you kind of have to do your homework. It's not the be all end all conversation. It's like the start of the conversation. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they are, they are very basic, but I also feel like you're, you're, you're not just doing a service to, you know, people in the audience, you're also, you infuse funny into it and, and humor. And like, what, what is your team like with that? And, and how do you come up with the ideas for that, for that show? Cause I mean, like our fried chicken and watermelon raises, like, I mean, these are questions we've been asking forever, but like, how do you come with, with that? I mean, we try to pull as many topical and pop culture references as possible. So for that specific episode, we were we tied it into all the promposals. I don't know if you know this, but um, yeah. now when you ask someone out to prom, you have to do this giant demonstration filled with puns. And if your uh, significant other is a person of color, it ends up being really racist. So Wait, I didn't realize that was the... the yeah, oh, so there was okay. a promposal <laughs> where a girl had a watermelon and it's like to ask some black guy to prom and it said like, will you go to prom with me? And then she had like fried chicken. Um, and so we like <laughs> used that as an example. Yeah. Um, I've also seen ones where like, 
you know, someone will ask an Arab American student to prom and they'll make like a terrorist joke. Like it happens a lot. Like prom season's coming up. So get ready. (laughs) (laughs) It's about to be bad. Um, So we use stuff like that. Or, um, you know, we talked about uh, when people were upset about John Boyega being in Star Wars. Like we talked about, you know, just representation in comic books and in nerd culture in general. We went to Comic-Con and we interviewed people about like black superheroes or superheroes of color. Um, So we really kind of try to, it's myself and uh, my producer, Andrew, and we have a few writers that we kind of cycle through depending on if we're doing a sketch um, or if we're just doing like the straight to camera vlogs. And uh, I also just get a lot of feedback from our audience. Sometimes mm. people tweet me and say, have you guys talked about this yet? Or did you see this story? Um, and so we try to take things that are topical, but also can be evergreen. Um, we ask a lot of questions because um Here's a little tip. Questions are very clicky because you can get people on both sides of the question, people who think that they know the answer and people that have no idea what the answer is. Um, and so that's a really great way to like draw an audience. So that's why a lot of our titles are questions. Very good pro tip right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm always dropping jams. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about the nightly show, the dearly departed nightly show um, with Larry Wilmore. Uh, He was at one time the only person of color in like late night comedy. And then Trevor Noah came um, and you were a contributor and you were in the writer's room for Mm -hmm. that. Um, So with that show, during the duration it was on, which was like from early 2015 up until last summer, you were dealing with a lot of it was, a, it was a show that was specifically dealing a lot with race. Um, and there were a lot of things that happened during that time, a lot of tragic things, whether it was, a lot of it was, you know, black people being killed by the police. Right. Um, what was it like for you? Because, you know, they always say comedy plus tragedy equals time. Like it takes time right. for these things to manifest itself and to be okay to be funny. With Nightly Show, you were dealing with topics that you had to respond to like the next day. No, that day. <laughs> or that day. Sometimes it was that day. Right. What was it like for you in the writer's room to sort of have to, you know, walk that fine line between tragedy and comedy, especially when you're, as a black person, dealing with things that are very close to you in that way? It was really, really tough, um, especially because we were working on such a fast turnaround. Um, and it's really hard, especially because of the internet. You know, so many people are commenting on whatever that story is. And in many ways, sometimes you feel like everything's been said that could be potentially said. Um, and so for me, I really tried to stay off Twitter and really hunker down and focus on whatever the topic was at hand and to try and find creative ways to talk about it. Um, I wrote a piece, I think it was after Alton Sterling. Um, where we had Larry check in with 
all lives matter rallies around the country and no one was there. Um, so like (laughs) for me, like that was like a sad, funny, but I was like, this is a funny take on this. Like, I don't want to laugh about someone losing their life, but like, let's laugh at the ignorance that comes along with people that are angry about hearing black lives matter. Like how can we illuminate what the problem is, but also do it in a way that is sensitive to the topic, but also funny and, it's, it's definitely not easy, but I feel like that experience just taught me so, so much because it pushed me to be a better writer, to be a faster writer, to learn how to write in someone else's voice. You know, Larry is very different from me. Um, and so it was, it was definitely a challenge, but I think I had the benefit of being in a room with a lot of really talented writers and we were there to really help support each other. Was there any moment that you can remember where you felt as though you went you didn't want to go that far or any jokes that you felt were taboo or any subjects in the writer's room where you were like "Mm, maybe we shouldn't try to make this funny I mean I think that that's kind of like the nature of a writer's room is that everybody just throws stuff out and you you have a level of respect that like stuff is going to stay in the room that like people might say things that you don't necessarily agree with but it's not because they are they really believe that thing. They're just like trying to find the funny. Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes trying to find the funny is saying like something really offensive. Um, But we understand that like we're doing it in the room for the purpose of figuring something out. And so someone in the room can say, that's not funny. Um, But then Mm -hmm. someone can say, but what is funny is, and then we all kind of just like tag on. So there were a lot of bad jokes in the room. Um, There are a lot of good jokes that die in the room because they they aren't right for the episode or um, the story has just been talked about too much and it just isn't going to happen or there's some breaking news moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just kind of the nature of working in comedy, especially if you're trying to talk about real issues. I mean, it must have also been comforting to know that you were in, unlike a lot of writers' rooms, there's a very inclusive room where with that and a show. super supportive room. Yeah. Like there were times where, you know, someone would say a joke that wasn't that funny and we would tag on that joke for like 20 minutes. <laughs> like that joke is not going on the show, but we're like, and then this could happen and then this and then this. It's like, okay, guys. <laughs> but everyone was just wanting to be supportive, you mm-hmm. know, and say like, that's super funny. It's not right for this episode. I know people that have been in rooms where, you know, writers will just straight to your face tell you, like, you suck and should die. And never in our room was it like that. Everyone was so welcoming and real. There were so many people like myself that had never worked in TV before. So it was really cool to be in a room where people were just like, hey, that was a really good idea. Sorry we didn't get to use it. Or I loved that joke that you wrote the other night. That's good. So the show ended, unfortunately. Uh, what was what was that like for you? I actually had Larry on like just a few days after oh, wow. it happened. And, um, you know, he, he talked about sort of being blindsided. Did you also feel that like you weren't expecting it? Like he said he was hoping that you would at least last through the election or get to the election. Yeah, that's what we really thought. You know, I think it's hard. We were in a landscape where there were so many shows talking about the same thing. And I think that we were not anticipating how Trump would just kind of take over like all election conversations. And so it became like, this is what we have to talk about. And then you're fighting against, you know, every other show talking about it. And that just becomes really challenging. 
Um, so I think that we, again, we're really hopeful that we would make it through the election. Um, of course, we were disappointed, but I think that, you know, it was so cool as John Stewart came to our last show and he said that it was really not a reflection of us. And I, I really do take that to heart because there are a lot of good shows that have been canceled. I mean, my so-called life, anyone? <laughs> like, I'm still pissed. Like, when I watched that on Netflix, I was like, why? Why wasn't there another season? It was so good. Happy uh, endings. Like, hello. There are so many good shows that get canceled. Like, a show yeah. getting canceled it does not mean that it wasn't a good show it just right. means that like you know there it, it is a very different time when it comes to getting people to watch tv there's so much content online there uh there's dvr there's hulu there's netflix you are just fighting this tidal wave and then there's just like Black Twitter, I could just watch Black Twitter instead of watching shows. Like, they are so freaking funny. Like, there would be so many days where I'd be like, I have a joke, and be like, saw it on Black Twitter already. And I'm just like, no, I, that was my joke. Like, I know I came up with that. It's really freaking hard yeah. now to get a TV show that can be successful. And again, it doesn't mean that your show isn't good. It just means that, like, the stars did not align and all of the elements didn't come together to, you know, get the audience there or, you know, get the traction that you need. Is So is your Comedy Central show that you're working on the pilot for, is that going to be a late night show? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's a take on light, late night. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's all I'll say because, you know, I'm trying to keep some stuff. That's fair. Um, yeah. No, I I mean, uh, uh, what I will say, God, spill it. It's hot. Like, it's really. Hmm. I'm excited to have a pilot, but I'm also like low key, like stressed because I've like been keeping this secret for a while, and it's and it feels like a weight off my shoulders for people to know about it. But it also feels like added pressure because now everyone's like, "Sit in my DVR, girl." What? Do and I'm like, "Don't." Say And then people are like, she's the first. Like, all of these headlines that are, like, not true. They're like, the only black person ever to have a show is Francesca. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I don't have a show yet. Like, it's, it's just a pilot. And, like, and I've shot a bunch of pilots for other people's shows. Yeah. And I, I, I now know, like, what that process is like. When I got my first pilot... I think it was 2013. I was so excited. I got flown to LA. I was like, I'm making it. Like I had spent the check before it even got in my bank account. Like I was so hyped. I was like, yeah, like turn up. And then like I got there and I had like five lines and like they weren't very good. And then the show didn't get picked up. And I was heartbroken. And I was just like, oh, like I wish I hadn't told anyone about this. Wait, what did you do with all the stuff you bought? Did you have to, did you keep it? Oh, yeah, I kept it. Like I was, <laughs> I was, I was stuck with it by that point. Um, and so I've shot a few pilots for a number of things that in retrospect, I understand why they didn't get picked up. And I'm glad that they didn't. Um, but I have a better understanding of how this business works. And in the same way that a show getting canceled doesn't mean that the show isn't good, a pilot getting picked up doesn't mean that the pilot's not good. It means that the network has like a certain number of slots and they know that they really need something that fills this slot, you know, or um, I mean, freaking Issa Rae had a pilot at ABC with Shonda Rhimes that didn't get picked up. Right, like, yeah. Lots of good 
pilots die, you know, like Mindy Kaling had a pilot before, you know, the Mindy project. There are so many variables are um, a part of a show coming to fruition that I, as the creator and writer, have no control over. So I'm glad people are excited, but I'm also like, please calm down because <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I'm very excited. I'm I'm proud of myself to have gotten this far, but I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen at all. I mean, so you're not the first whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, no. <laughs> but I mean, the, the landscape is still very, for late night, is very white right. and very male with the exception of Trevor Noah and Samantha Bee. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, another one thing I asked Larry was like, why is it that right now we are at a point where we have so many options for like narrative TV when it comes to people of color, black people specifically, um, and late night is still very set in its ways. Um, what are you hoping to sort of? You don't have to give us details. I know you can't, right. but like, what are you hoping to sort of crack into with the show um, and? Why do you think that late night is still so far behind? I mean, for me, what's been really exciting is just hearing from people what my work has meant to them. And and I, it means something different to everybody in the sense that I am a black woman with natural hair and that my locks always look cute, AF, but, professional. But you know what I'm saying? I switch it up. I do updos. I do curls, braids, for the everything. Record, you know? she has, for the record, you have Cheska Locks, yes. the, the YouTube channel. Yeah. Now, I, I don't have locks, but I do enjoy watching hair videos and... Girl. So, but here's the thing like, think about it. I can name like three people that have locks on television, you know? And Michonne doesn't, Michonne does not count because she's wearing a wig. It's a wig. It's a wig. Oh, I didn't know. She's wearing a wig. Okay. Yeah. I would say, I, I, she is. Yeah. Um, Well, um, Jaden Smith just cut his, and Willow has locks. But they're not on TV, though. Sometimes they are. Well, I mean, the get down. I mean, like they're they're oh, actors. I forgot about they're, the get down. They're yeah, actors. Yeah. They're visible. Yeah. And then that girl in Shameless, who I don't even know. I don't watch that show, but I know she has locks because people are always like, "Is that you?" And I'm like, "No." An- <laughs> another girl. What about um Queen Sugar? Routino, Routino, oh, and Ava, and Ava Duvernay. Like there's and, and Ava. Yeah. I mean, here's right. the thing. We're literally like and Whoopi, uh, Whoopi. like. It's a struggle, right? Like, we can't, like, I don't have a wealth of names to give you. And oftentimes when, I cannot tell you how many times people don't know that I have locks. They're like, I love your braids. And I'm like, they're not, no. And so, like, that in itself, like, just, just being visible with locks and showing the versatility of natural hair, like, inspires people, Mm -hmm. right? To say, like, oh, wow, maybe I can wear my hair like that, or maybe I can get a job, or people won't think I'm a drug dealer, or, like, whatever, like, negative perceptions you have. And that doesn't mean that I have to make content specifically about debunking those stereotypes. Just by being myself, I'm combating those stereotypes and I feel the same way about, you know, just the types of people that I want to expose the world to with this pilot. I don't necessarily think we're going to go into every episode like don't believe this stereotype, but I think if more people were exposed to 
LGBT folks or people with disabilities or, you know, people from different socioeconomic statuses or, um, you know, Muslim folks or Mexicans or undocumented people or whatever it is that you already have these preconceptions about, just seeing them being funny, like seeing them just like going to the grocery store and being like normal. I think that that can really expand people's horizons. Um, and that's what I want to do, but do it in a funny way so that people don't even realize like, oh, wow, I connected with somebody that looks nothing like me. And all of the things that I thought about them before weren't necessarily true. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like once you put yourself in the position of being that person who talks about these things, you, you can also feel the pressure to always have to represent. Oh my, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it's like. Oh, it's so hard. And we were just talking about this backstage. Like every day somebody's like, did you hear about this thing? And why haven't you talked about this thing that happened? And I'm just like, I was in meetings all day. I didn't know about it, you know? And it's like, and then I feel this pressure to say something, but maybe I'm not that informed on the topic. I don't know anything about it. Like, I don't know all the details. Like, do I have to watch some horrific video now? It's like, God, I now I gotta. And it's just like, I have to do all this homework first and I and it's it's really hard because this is not like I didn't go to school for this like I have a graphic design degree like (laughs) I can slay like some photoshop like sometimes people are asking me to weigh in on stuff and I'm genuinely like I don't know like I don't know the answer and I don't want to screw it up and I have screwed it up many a times Um, And it's overwhelming. Unfortunately, there's a terrible story every single day. And kudos to the people who are really on top of it all day long. Like I, I was one of those people and I can't be one of those people right now. Instead, what I'm trying to do is focus my time and energy into things that I can do and the things that I am really passionate about and using my voice in those ways. Um, but I, I just can't comment on everything. And some days it's, it is really, really hard. I really stress myself out sometimes. So my producer, Verilyn, who is unfortunately not able to be here tonight, uh, but she's here in spirit. She follows your Snapchat. And oh my God. She has <laughs> seen me cry like every day. <laughs> so I don't, I, I'm one of those like quote unquote old millennials who like doesn't know what I don't understand Snapchat. I don't know what to do with I it. I used to not get it, but I <laughs> love Snapchat now. Well, she she mentioned to me that you recently talked about discussing with another vlogger um, the idea, I think her name was Lacey Green. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that, you know, we live in a world now, especially in this post-Trump age where we're dealing with lots of like anti-feminist, anti-social progress. Um, They're called anti-social justice warriors. That's what they call themselves. Do they call them ASJW yeah, for sure? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just as a side note, social justice warrior is like this pejorative term that's just used to, it's used as an insult. I've never met anyone that self-identifies as one otherwise, like uh, ironically, like, yeah, I'm about to war for social justice, like some people, but like, it's kind of like a joke because we're like, it's like a funny, like, oh, it's bad to care about social justice. Um, Yeah. So there are these people who say that they're anti-social justice. It's, it's, I mean, how do you, how do you, how has that changed in the last, since you, like, since between now and when you made Shit White Girls, uh, like, how has it gotten, it's gotten worse, I Yeah, oh my gosh, it's gotten so bad. Um, I, 
uh, a few things. Um, well, one, our president is a troll. So like, yeah. And and like and being a troll is like really profitable now. And like, I think people have really cracked the code in terms of saying really outrageous stuff on Twitter, saying really outrageous stuff on YouTube. And I think the average person, I think, still does not understand how much money these people are making on YouTube. Like, people are making thousands upon thousands of dollars for sitting in their bedrooms and, like, yelling at a camera and being like, I hate feminists. And then you're like, this is terrible. And then you share it, and then you just help them make more money, you know? And so... It's really profitable. So there are lots of people that make a living off of just saying really racist, sexist things all day long, you know? And like outrage culture just helps them be more profitable. So as I feel like it's a pendulum swing. Like after Obama, we have so many marginalized people who feel empowered and have a platform like social media to talk about their issues and express themselves. And we have so many shows that are, you know, really diverse. There are a lot of people that are really angry about that. I feel like that is what prompted Donald Trump. And that is what has prompted people going on the internet and anonymously saying hateful things because they felt like their world was being taken from them. Make America great again. It's literally like make America a place that is straight cis white people you know like that is what these people think and so the internet is now a place where they can say that and pay their bills saying it and possibly become the president yeah (laughs) on that note (laughs) um we're gonna (laughs) we're actually gonna go to a a lighter note actually um the question that i ask all of my guest, which is, when was the last time you felt as though you saw yourself on screen, you felt represented? Now, we've had, we we talked about this, you know this, but we have had a lot of people say Moonlight over the last, like, I don't know, two, three months, which, yes, yes, Moonlight is amazing. I love, I saw it three times, uh, but we had to put a moratorium on it uh, because it's just getting kind of Kind of, kind of. I mean, we need some. I was glad that you gave that caveat, but I wasn't going to say Moonlight. Oh, I mean, I okay. I loved the film, but like, I it wasn't my story. You okay. know what I mean? Awesome. Like, it, I, it's right. Hello, I'm Zama. I'm, I am a straight lady. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I mean, there there are other aspects you could find. There were like, black it people in it. Shows. Yes. <laughs> it also took place in South Florida, which I'm from West Palm Beach. Yes. Yes. Um, so, and I lived in Miami for a second. I yeah. lived really close to Overtown. So I was not, and li- like by Liberty City. So like I know that area, but I did not see myself in that movie. Yeah. Um. And the show that I picked, I don't completely see. Now I'm gonna. I feel like, oh well, god, this we'll, is bad. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to it in a second. Okay. <laughs> First, uh, Vera Lynn actually put together a nice little uh, memorial clip uh, of all of our guests who have said Moonlight. Oh so we'll just gosh. play that for a second before we get to your your pick. When is the last time you saw something on film or on TV where you saw yourself on screen? Like a month ago, <laughs> I saw Moonlight. I can just go immediately to the last film that I saw, 
um, which is Moonlight. I'm on a high coming off of Moonlight. I, I don't know if everyone's seen it already. Yes, yeah. three times. Right. Yes. Okay. So three times. No, right no spoilers, right? Um, I feel represented because I just feel like it's a story in the world that I exist in and the people that I love. And so, and they haven't had the light on, you know, really shining on them in the way that it needs to be. I think Moonlight. <laughs> Is, that, is everybody saying Moonlight? <laughs> Everyone says Moonlight. But here's why I say Moonlight. Here's, here's why I say Moonlight. You know, I think it, it, it says the most about being a black gay man, but I think it also just says stuff about masculinity. And, you know, there's this refrain in Moonlight of who is you, Chiron? And I think so many of us watch that movie and, was, and we're thinking, I know who Chiron is. Like, it's me. So, <laughs> you did not choose Moonlight. No, I didn't. What did you choose? Uh, I, I mean, I know. I'm pretending like I don't know. But okay. I, I know. <laughs> so, I cho- chose Chewing Gum. Um, okay, so I'm not, like, into, like, I'm not a virgin, okay? <laughs> like, I, I, like, when no, I wrote it, I was like, I'm not like her, but I like her a lot, and I feel... Like, I am, a, you know, a, a weird black girl. I, while I am not a virgin, my nickname in college was Prudy because whenever my friends talk about their sex lives, I'm like, <laughs> like, I hate it when people talk about their sex lives in front of me. I just get really awkward. Um, and I actually have friends who, like, purposely call me and, like, say dirty things on my voicemail because they know it, like, freaks me out. I'm just what like, kind I of hate friends you. Do you like, have? They just, like, do it to, like, I mean, it's a playful, like, they start saying something and they're like, and then he took my, okay, call me back. And I'm like, ah, like, ooh, that made me so uncomfortable. Okay. So, like, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing a show where there's a black woman who is like exploring her sexuality, but she doesn't know, and she's like um, awkward. And but she's also she's the perfect balance of insecure and confident. Like I don't know. I, that's how I feel about myself sometimes. Like yeah. I'm, I have like this vanity slash insecurity. Like I know I look good, and then I'm like, but do I? Like. <laughs> <laughs> And I like that about that show. Um, I haven't watched season two, so no spoilers. Season two is good. uh, I just started it. I actually have to watch it with subtitles because I can't can't understand. So the accents are so thick. It's a British show. It's on Netflix. uh, Although I premiered i think before it came on netflix on a different on a british channel but they because it's a very snappy quick show and the accents are so thick i mm-hmm. have to watch it with subtitles because i miss all the jokes me too me um, too but you actually you guys can like have a little gander of what it how it is uh we have a little clip loaded up here from the first season not the second my mom was gonna name me Alyssa, which means sweet angel in indian but when i came out she looked at me and she called me tracy Tracy. When it sounds like I eat bacon sarnies or have sex at the back of the bus, I don't eat pork, man. And I don't even want to have sex with my boyfriend in a bedroom. Excuse me, I'm I'm trying to pray with my life partner. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's uh that's Tracy from Chewing Gum. And she you're right, she is just so she is so awkward, but she owns it. And I love that about her. Like she's a character. Like I feel like you. She finds herself in all these awkward situations, um, but you can't help but root for her at the same time. And I could see. I can't imagine knowing someone like her in real life. It'd be kind of like the worst thing in the world. 
but she's really and like her character is really intense. She's a lot. Um, like <laughs> yeah, but I I it's really funny and it's also it's really awkward. Like you are watching that show and you feel uncomfortable. It is you cringe know? Like, comedy. We too. watched yeah. my husband and I watched an episode together and he was laughing so hard and then he was like, I, I don't think I can keep watching this. <laughs> he was like, I just it makes me feel like really weird. Yeah. Cause it's just like, ugh, like she's trying to have sex and she doesn't know what she's doing, and it's just like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, it's awkward, but it's so, but it's super, super funny, and she's so, so talented. Um, I read in Interview Magazine that she, it's only six episodes a season. Um, That's the best way to do, but shows, largely because she writes every episode by herself. Like mm-hmm. she, she goes off into a cabin and like writes the whole show in like two weeks without anyone's help, and she says she can't. Like it's just physically too much work. Um, and to me, that was just like mind blowing. Like I do not work like that at all. I just like labor over every word. I just like, I don't know. She's super inspiring, and I feel like she is. She is like gonna blow up in such a big way. I'm so excited for her. Yeah, everyone should check it out. Also, her Twitter feed is kind of ridiculous. I don't and know if you her, her Instagram snap and her Snapchat. Yeah. I have Snapchat, yeah. <laughs> she uploads her snaps onto Instagram. Oh, so. okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm stalk I'm stalking her. Like I just talk about her across social media in the hopes that she'll like recognize me. Uh-huh. <laughs> With Kizik Can's free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So we usually end our interviews with when did you feel represented, but uh, we're actually going to end it with another segment we typically do, which is our pre-woke watching segment. Um, And that is when we discuss uh, a film or TV show that like in our youth or could have could have even been a year ago you really loved but then you took a step back and you thought about it and you're like the show's kind of fucked up and the way it like deals with race or gender or whatever um now we've had some interesting picks recently you know we've had um coming to america we've had uh will and grace what is your pick again i know this but yeah well. uh, <laughs> my pick was martin yeah um I I grew up watching that show. It's super. I, people are like, mm. <laughs> listen, go back and watch. Listen, I think Martin is super funny. But even just like the Tracy Pam dynamic of like the beautiful light skinned girl and like the loud dark skinned girl that they always make fun of, and that he's always calling her manly. And then just like Shanene is like this super homophobic, transphobic character. So speaking like, of Shanene. <laughs> Before before we get into that, let's watch a clip from Martin of Shanene and Lars Voorhees. First of all, Martin did not drop me. That's what they all say. Rejected girl. All right. So go on home and don't let me catch you back around here again. Okay, because I will throw you down an incinerator. Okay, and let me tell you something. All right. Weave hair, 
Oh, it stinks when it burns. Oh my god. No, 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 no. Cause see, this is my hair. Thank oh. you. Oh, so what you got? Indian in your family? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. <laughs> you knew the words. I know. Someone, someone in our audience all was all the words. All of the every words. Every single word. My God. Seeing him do the, the wow. like the Indian thing, I was literally sitting here just being like, no, don't do that. It's like, don't. Wow. Twitter's going to drag you. Wait, Twitter didn't exist. <laughs> but like, think about it. At that time, we are in such a different place in terms of like representation, right? Like, the voices that we have now in media when it comes to trans people, when it comes to like Native American folks, you know, just standing rock, you know, just like people are talking about issues that are important to them and are calling us on our shit that we used to say that we didn't know because we had never encountered those voices before. Yeah. So sure, it's still a really funny, like groundbreaking show, but like, there were a lot of like messed up jokes in that one segment. You picked a good segment. <laughs> <laughs> that was all Marilyn. She picked that out. She had it on DVD. So I was like, all right, this is uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the thing though is that, you know, we, yes, times have changed. And I, I don't think like, I think there's maybe a reason why Martin Lawrence has like kind of disappeared lately. But I, no, I didn't mean that as shit. I just mean like his humor does not necessarily, you know, fit right well, now. Well, humor has to has to evolve, and, you know? It, right. And like, we've seen that with some comedians that I love that will remain nameless. Well, g- girl, I just said... She... Uh, no, I, you didn't I say did it. not it's say okay. their... I said I did not say their name. <laughs> but there are some people who it's like their comedy 10 years ago was iconic and meant something really special. And it's like, we have grown up in those 10 years and that person hasn't. And that's really hard to be like, oh, you actually shouldn't say that anymore. It's not like you can't say it. You can. But now the people who are on the other side of that joke, the people who are going to face the real consequences. And that's what's so hard in comedy. People... Comics are so fucking sensitive. They're like, yes. take a joke. But then like you say you don't like their joke and they're like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not just a joke. Like there are real people whose lives are affected by the things that you're saying. Right. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't want to say that something like that couldn't be made today because I feel like it was only just a few years ago that we still had like Fred Armisen playing Obama or we had Keenan wearing a dress in every SNL sketch. Right. Um, it but, could get made, but, but it, it, it it probably would. Still, have you ever been but, on Instagram? Because uh, like yes. every dude's in a dress on yes. Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, right? right? I mean, like, but your faves are problematic, right? But now they're more likely to get dragged. And we were talking about this backstage as well. The idea of like all of these, like mar- these corporations putting out these. Uh, on purpose, they seem to be on purpose. These these ads that are are meant to like stoke controversy, and I then they walk so. back. So we actually have some a little bit of time for a Q and A. Uh, so if you have any questions for Francesca, hi, just a big fan of the podcast. Um, I'm happy Slate has high uh, spotlighted you more. I've been following your work for a while. Oh, thank you. Um, That's really sweet. so. Uh, questions for both of you, actually, real quick. So if you could talk about. <sighs> How you get stuff done? Like, what is the process? Because you mentioned before, like, you know, that you don't lock yourself away in a cabin for two weeks to do what you do. And same thing for you, Aisha, if you can, like, 
how do you get ready for the show? Thanks. Would you like to go first? Uh, sure. I'm a really big list maker. I love to write stuff down. Um, I'm very goal oriented. So I make a big list every month. I make a list every week that's that supplements that monthly list. So like when I look at my week, I say like, what do I need to do to help me get the stuff I'm doing for the month? I have like one big list for the year for my life. (laughs) And I just try to make sure that whatever I'm working on is leading up to the things that I need to get done. Uh, Ditto. I lists. I love lists and sublists of lists are very useful. Um, I also do this method. I don't remember what the method is called. Someone told it to me, but I do like a 25 minutes of just focusing on one thing and then take a break and then do another 25 minutes. Like it's the only way for me to not get distracted by Facebook, Twitter, Slack, anything. Um, So for me, that's really useful to like compartmentalize my time and make sure that like I'm getting stuff done because otherwise I'm just, my brain is going everywhere. Hi, my question's for Francesca. Um, You're on a lot of different platforms. Um, My favorite of which is Tumblr. It's great. I reblog every day. Um, (laughs) What's your favorite one? Like to be on. Um, I like I used to be so negative about Snapchat because it is really difficult to understand. Um, now I now I realize that that's like purposeful. Um, Snapchat has a really young audience, and it's not built to function the way other social media platforms do, largely so that you have a level of privacy, and so your parents can't get on it. Like. Adults are never going to flock to Snapchat because they just don't get it. Um, it feels really intimate. I get videos like close up of people's faces, like laying in bed, telling me about their day. Um, I get to take people around with me all the time. I feel like my audience gets to really know me unfiltered without my eyebrows penciled in. Like they just, I just, it is just a very honest form of communication and. I just I feel like I get to have a real friendship with them versus social media where the, or Twitter where they're just text. I get to see videos of them. I get to meet their dog. I get to um, just like see what their life is like, and they get to see mine. Um, I think we have time for one more question. Oh, there you go. Um, people like Jimmy Fallon who use the roots to kind of spice up their show. Um, there's also a film coming out called uh, Three Generations. Um, Elle Fanning plays a uh, young female to transitioning into a male. Um, do we apl- should we be applauding these people who are putting these stories, are are kind of giving a platform for these stories, or should we kind of be a little frustrated that that I don't, I don't know how to phrase it, but Elle Fanning's not a trans man, right? And should we kind of be frustrated that that they're using these stories for? their own gain cookies they're using them for cookies is what I like to say (laughs) yeah I I do think it's frustrating because I think people should be able to tell their own stories you know and I think it's really easy to say well I mean we needed a star like we couldn't find a trans boy and it's like did you look though because I've, you know, they are out there, like, look at Sense8, you know, um, um, there are shows that have trans people in them, whether it's Orange is the New Black, Star, I mean, they exist, um, and it, it's possible to cast people in those roles. Um, for someone like Jimmy Fallon, I mean, it, it, 
the roots are adults. Like they can choose to be the backup band if they want. I feel like they are better than that and their music is so good that they don't have to do that. I, I have to believe that they want to be there. But at the same time, it sometimes it is really frustrating when people don't know the breadth of their talent and they just know them in this limited role because Jimmy Fallon is still like the star, right? And they're still supporting him. And that happens too often where people... I use the analogy of Ali Ship is like Destiny's Child. There's only one Beyonce. And like <laughs> sometimes you have to be in the back. And like sometimes you gotta be Michelle. Right. And you gotta be Michelle. And you Sorry, guys have Michelle. really cute costumes too, but they're like a little bit different because Beyonce's costume is always the best one, right? House of Darius. Like they're all the same fabric, <laughs> but like hers is better, right? Like, right, hers is a little more abs, like just all of that. Right, and I think that sometimes people have a hard time with that. They're like, no, 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 no. I want you to know, like, I'm helping you. Like, I'm telling your story. And they center themselves rather than, like, passing the mic to someone else. And I think we, and I say myself as well, have to get better at that, at just being able to step back and support somebody else's voice and realize that as a cis person, it is not my place to tell trans stories. As a straight person... I don't need to tell a coming-of-age story about a lesbian woman. I don't know that story. Why not let somebody who's lived it tell their own story? And I can be the producer. You know, like, be, help them, but you don't have to center yourself. Yeah. And just to that point, I think one of the other big issues with all of that is just the fact that the cookies. Like, it's often the people who are playing these roles who are getting the awards, whether it's Jared Leto or... Any of that sort uh, of Eddie Redmayne, for Eddie the, Redmayne, for the Danish girl, or right. yeah, or, yeah, Jared Leto for sure. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's also where the problem lies is the the accolades and the and the praise for for that that is not going to the people who are actually living that experience. Yeah, my husband and I like to say, uh, bake your own cookies. Like, just don't do it because people are going to congratulate you. Like, do it because it's the right thing to do, and you know that you're not always going to get those accolades. Like, when you uplift that other person's voice, no one's going to be like, thank goodness for that producer. They're going to be like, wow, that girl was really good. But you're not doing it for the cookies. Like, you're doing it because it's right. And then you go home and you pat yourself on the back because you just can't You can't do it for the cookies. Bake them yourself. You drop so many good, like... Isms here tonight. <laughs> I work in late night. Uh, well, <laughs> Thank you. I might soon. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Thank Francesca. You so much. Please really give fun. a round of applause for Francesca. And really quick, I want to just thank a bunch of people who helped work on the show. Um, thanks to Benjamin Frisch for helping to produce the live show, as well as our engineer, Evan Viola, and Slate Live producer, Kirsten Holtz. Um, Verilyn Williams. Why am I looking up? She's not dead. Uh, she's <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, she's our producer. Love her. Um, and the executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer at Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. Until next time, thank you so much for coming out, guys. Thank you.